This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at fearscapemedia.com. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that it seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, to another government-watched episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on yeah, the Fearscape Media. Network. It's gonna like it's gonna cut out, right? I'm just kidding. And with we're you. back. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. This is Stefan, your host here. I am joined as always by the man in black himself, Josh Rutledge. What's happening, partner? I'm here, my monochromatic self. Uh, I'm here. Ooh, yeah. Different shades of black. I like it. <laughs> you got black, light black. Of, 50 shades of black. Isn't that what? Dark black. <laughs> Panta black. Panta black. Leather There's black. New, have you seen that new... Um, Jack black. Have you seen the new, the new paint that you can get for your car? That's the darkest uh, black that you can put on a car. It's like the darkest black paint they make. I watched a video on YouTube. Somebody painted a car with it. It legit looked like it had been like uh, a CGI, like CGI'd out. I mean, mm-hmm. it was that. Yeah, it was that, that black. It's that Vanta black, dude. I'm telling you, it's that's creepy. That's the color of the night hags that I see. It's it's crazy, and it's like you almost don't even see them unless light hits from behind them. Sometimes it's weird, man. It's absolutely weird. So light hits them from behind, and that's how you know it's them. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, it just doesn't even have to be from behind, but it's just you can all of a sudden see that there's an object there, you know? Yeah, I was, I was trying to make a crude joke. That's okay. I know, but it didn't work. I just dropped my water all over my shirt. So. Oh, now see, now that's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious, folks. Uh, no, anyways, um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have a really cool show. Uh, as you guys know, the uh, UAP report. Uh, what's the official name, Josh? The official name is the preliminary assessment of the unidentified aerial phenomena report to congress uh was recently released here a few days ago uh from us recording um it actually released uh the day after we recorded with kathleen martin um but we wanted to go over that document um go over the report kind of talk a little bit about disclosure kind of talk about uh what um has been released and uh, essentially 
what that could mean for the yeah. future of UAP research. So, and uh, then also some of the things that have floated around since it's been released mm-hmm. uh, from some of the kind of bigger players in the in the industry, if you will. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, but of course, before we get into that, let's go ahead and move right into our first segment of the week, which is Psychic Word of the Week. And now, the Psychic Word of the Week. Psychic Word of the Week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear! I missed you, but I've never met you. Um, I love your book, honey. Um, so we flipped through the pages. I landed on page 563. And the first phrase that caught my eyeball was symbiotic closeness. Symbiotic closeness. Uh, this mm-hmm. immediately says to me, Eddie Brock and Venom from the yeah. Venom comic books. And I mean, the, the, fact that, <laughs> the fact that it's a symbiotic relationship implies closeness. So it seems like a little redundant. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it kind of does. You leave June G. Bledsoe alone or she's going <laughs> to symbiote your yeah. butt. Um, anyways, it says a spontaneous short psychic contact from a deceased person to an earthling for personal reasons. Contact is usually to assure the earthling that deceased person is alive and still a friend. Occurs by a psychic vision or smelling a fragrance or tasting a food that can be associated with the friend but not associated with anything in the vicinity. Earthling is in a relaxed state to perceive this contact. That sounds a lot like you and your granddaddy with the cigarette smoke. Yeah, and and also my um, when my wife's gran- grandmother passed, she uh, a couple of days she would smell like her perfume. Mm-hmm. So very yep. interesting yeah absolutely and that that's a pretty common thing i don't i don't like her phrasing of alive and well i mean i, I feel like that was by choice um but just saying that hey i'm okay uh, right. i'm in a different state right uh, i mean it, you know. it's it still is alive just not physically sure. alive. then that then that means we never die true isn't that what everybody says our physical form ceases to exist. Your but physical form ceases to exist? That's what I'm saying. Mine stays holy forever. No. No. I'm a vampire, man. Didn't you know that? I'm going to suck your but, blood. But you go to work during the day. How does that happen? Uh, I'm like Blade. I'm a day walker. <laughs> you know how it is um but anyways (laughs) um but yeah pretty interesting i didn't never i just always thought of it as kind of like ancestral visitation i didn't think there was a you know a name echoes you know echoes from the beyond or something like that Ooh, i like that that sounds like a good 60s like not variety but like anthology yeah (laughs) ghost story show Echoes from the beyond. If we were only doing ghost stuff, that's yeah. what I would call encounters from the fierce game. Quit, quit giving people ideas. That's what you know. Like we're we're like an idea idea factory over here. Hashtag trademark. Hashtag copyright. That's the new <laughs> poor man's. Copyright. I don't think it works that <laughs> no, way. that's the new <laughs> poor man's copyright, dude. I recorded. So if you tweet it to yourself, is that the same thing as mailing it? To only your... if you use hashtag copyright. Okay. Or hashtag okay. poor man's copyright. Or okay. hashtag neo poor man's copyright. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's let's move on from that little ditty. Um, but yeah, just know that if uh, a friend or a family member or someone you know shows up and you can smell 
their smell or taste their taste. A, a, a friend or a family member who has recently <laughs> passed, right? Right. Like, like if your cousin comes over and he's still very much alive and you smell him, that's not the same thing. Yeah, that just that dude needs a shower. Like that's that's the yeah. difference on that one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so anywho, uh, yeah. So we're gonna move on from that now that we've squandered that a bit. Um, so let's move on to our next segment, which is spooky news. I got a little spooky news for you. This, uh, it's been a bit, minute. Been a minute, yeah. And uh, but this article came across my desk, and uh, I I couldn't I, I couldn't pass it up. Like I couldn't pass it up. This comes from theheraldsun.com, and the headline reads: "Exorcism for dead trees in a Home Depot lumber aisle stumps Pennsylvania town." stumps love it i love, love how it. clever these guys are uh but yeah you had me at dead trees exorcism uh but yeah so here's what this says this says monday started off fairly normal for the dixon city police department there was a search for a missing juvenile an alleged assault and various traffic stops in the small pennsylvania community but in the middle of the afternoon officers responded to a Home Depot for a rather peculiar and some might say scary call. The two sentence report from the police station left a community craving for more details. This is what it said. 326 PM Commerce Boulevard Home Depot for disorderly people having an exorcism in the lumber aisle for the dead trees. They were escorted out of the building. The police department wrote this in its daily list of Facebook calls it responded to the previous day. Uh, the police department did not provide further information regarding the incident and did not respond to the message uh, from McClatchy News. But in speaking with WBRE, officers said that the people were exhibiting bad behavior in the hardware and home improvement store and that the so-called exorcists were not charged, uh, the TV station reported. The community responded in appropriate fashion, politely asking the police department for more details of the exorcism uh it said dcpd please for the love of all that is holy i know you're incredibly busy with dog feces intoxicated citizens everybody crashing into stuff thieves folks in distress etc lord knows only one fourth of the traffic out there knows how to operate a motor vehicle but please i just need a shred a wood chip if you will about what in the actual hardware store was going on with that exorcism wrote becky degraw <laughs> <laughs> ashley faraday asked how does a wood exorcism happen in 2021 and not a single person in home depot videoed this for our entertainment i need answers and then uh stacy marie uh, said, God bless the men in blue. I can't believe this is what they have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, a The identities of those involved with the exorcism were not identified. So Interesting. You know, something that I've always uh, wondered about um, is uh, necrophiliacs like to have sex with dead people mm -hmm. and dendrophiliacs like to have sex with trees. So if you're a necrodendrophiliac, does that mean you like to have sex with dead trees? I think so. Doesn't that harken back to that movie, uh, Can't Hardly Wait? How so? Because that's what she calls him. She calls him a dendronecrophiliac. She says that's someone who likes to have sex with dead trees. 
Is it? I don't remember mm-hmm. the. I only remember the dendrophiliac part. I don't remember the necro part. Maybe I'm adding that in, but I don't know. Ooh, I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what would have possessed lumber? Dead um, lumber. Dead lumber. Dead, dead lumber. Well, and if you build a house with possessed lumber, is the house then possessed? Well, yeah. Well, at least the the frame. Yeah. What, Maybe that. What is what is a house? <laughs> is it the frame? Or is it the people within it? Or well, is it the home, space between? A home is the people inside. A house is a physical structure. Yeah. So it's like, it, yeah. So is it just the wood that's possessed? Or is it the space in between the wood that is possessed? I don't know. I do not know. I do not know. But uh, strange things are afoot in Pennsylvania, uh, y'all. Um, so Tyler Strand, if you're out there listening, I know you get to Pennsylvania a lot. So uh, yeah. Whoosh. Let's get over there and check maybe, out that Home Depot. Maybe he was one of the one of the ones that was involved. I mean, that, oh, you see that thing that uh, Tyler found on Twitter with the he, somebody sent him. They were looking through like what was it like aliens that like built the pyramids or whatever. Yeah, and whoever know. drew it like back in the day, it looks just like Tyler Strand. It reminds me of a cartoon that I saw once. Like <laughs> it's like um, Unico. Uh, oh the, yeah, I know Unico. And there's like the evil guy that's in that's in Unico also has that kind of picture, like the pointy chin and the, the big eyes. Yeah. I mean, I will say this: Tyler definitely has anime eyes. They were very round. Yeah, his very round eyes, and I I love that he retweeted that and and because yeah. that's just if you can make fun of yourself, you're 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 the bee's knees in my book. Yeah, bee's knees. Um, but yeah anyway so yeah get out there Tyler uh, if anybody else is near that area in Pennsylvania and has some updates on that please let us know so alright well before we get into our UAP report let's get into our UFO UAP sighting of the week All right, Josh, UFO sighting of the week. Uh, who, what, where are we pulling it from this week? Yeah, so this comes from New Fork. Uh, it actually occurred on May 19th of this year. Is that the New Fork monster? <laughs> no, that was the Falk. Yeah, that was monster. Falk. Falk nice, monster. Nice, nice try, Jersey Devil. Yeah. Now, if there's a new one, it could be the New Falk monster. I mean, no. I'm no. glad my headphones are on because I don't want them to hear. <laughs> yeah, so this comes from Glen Falls, New York. Um, uh, this really caught my eye uh, because of one particular area. See if you can pick out what it was. Walking my dog with my wife near the Hudson River, we saw a triangular-shaped gray craft. It appeared to suck water up into it for about five minutes that sat about 15 to 25 feet above the ground for 15 minutes. It appeared to be about the size of a single cedar plane. My dog was shaking and whining the whole time. That's what made me believe that perhaps this was something strange. I asked my wife if she had her phone, and she did take pictures, but she hasn't sent them to me yet. When she does, I'll upload them to the site. Ooh, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about before is 
how many of these things seem to happen around water. The fact that the the report we're getting ready to talk about was given to the Navy and not mm-hmm. the Air Force. Um, well, and then there's a lot, you know, a lot of theories out there that water to them is fuel. Well, I mean, it, 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 think about this. Um, in Star Trek, uh, they had onboard water. They could only go as far as what their water supply they had. And, I mean, it, it makes sense when you think about it. If, you know, water is probably not one of those things that you could potentially replicate or create. You, you would probably take enough with you for your journey and then uh, potentially have to stop along the way and pick some up. Maybe Earth is a pit stop on the way to some other place. I don't know. So they can't replicate water, or are you just guessing on that? No, I'm, that's a Star Trek thing. They, they don't replicate water. They have onboard I, water supply. I mean, they can they can replicate Earl Grey tea, which has water in it. But when you when you actually understand, we're getting way off track here, but when you read about the replicator and how it works, it actually just realigns protein molecules or it realigns uh, some other type of molecules. So it's not actually water. It's just a realigned protein molecule to look like water and taste like whatever you're replicating. It's it's protein molecules and carbohydrate molecules is what it actually realigns. So like if you sit down to eat a bowl of Fruit Loops that's been replicated, all that is is recombined protein or carbohydrate mo- molecules to look and taste like what you're eating. So then why not water? Because water is not consisted of a water or, or protein or carbohydrate molecule. I'm going to need a real Trekkie to give me some real answers. <laughs> Bill Binder, you if you are listening, my friend, <laughs> uh, I'm going to need you to give me some answers because I ain't once heard this whole water thing. Now, I'm not disagreeing with Josh because he's definitely read some more stuff than I have. But All right, Well, look look at... Um, I do know the, that Janeway and them had to get some water, but that was different because they didn't have no replicator. They did have replicators. Well, they, they, they couldn't, couldn't use, use it. That limited energy supply. Mm-hmm. But also look at... Um, the uh, Kelvin timeline for Star Trek, so the reboot that was done a few years back with everything. Uh, there's a part where Scotty beams onto a warping ship. Where does he beam into? Okay, well that's that's first that's that's O O G Star Trek, but next generation. Come on, y'all. <laughs> I don't know. This just got real nerdy. I, um, I mean, look at it. Look at us. Look at a slice of like. The Enterprise with like the schematics. It's got water tanks. All right, I'll get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's a lot of stories going back from like the 1800s and the 1900s and all the way up to current where uh, UAPs and such stop off and ask for water. Well, yeah, the Men in Black and Keel's book was always asking for a glass of water. And then Men in Black, the movie, I need some sugar water, sugar, water, sugar water. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's Vincent yeah. D'Onofrio's uh, performance of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he pulls his face back. You know, I got it's... an Ephraim suit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Anyways, dragging Anyways, us on. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a very short break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about the uh, UAP report to the Congress. And we're going to go over it. And uh, so that those of you guys that have some questions, hopefully we can answer some of those questions because I know I've got some questions. So we will be right back. 
Hello, Blanket Huggers. Stefan here. On March 28th, 2021, Josh and I received a message through our website's Submit a Sighting form from someone claiming to be Terry R. Wrist, the man referenced in Hell Here, and the man interviewed by Alan Greenfield in Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. From there, we received a number of cryptic emails filled with information on places to search for answers to the larger mystery of the quest and journey Josh and I have been on. So we decided, fake or not, we should take it seriously, as much of the information given panned out and definitely opened our eyes to many new things. So we enlisted the help of Astral Stew co-host Santosh and Fearscape guest and Greenfield's publisher Olaf Phillips. Together the four of us have been digging deeper and deeper into not only the true identity of our source of paranormal gold, whether he is THE Terry Wrist or not, but also into the mystery of the information given us. It has led us to some amazing doors into such things as the Secret Space Program, Hollow Earth, Darrow and Tarot, Caves, Underground Bases, Government Cover-Ups and Conspiracies, and so much more. So if you would like to learn more about these emails, Terry's advice on where to look for more high strangeness, and our conversations and discoveries thus far, please become a monthly subscriber to our Patreon called Wristwatch at fearscapepodcast.com support or patreon.com slash fearscapepod. There you can get access to the emails themselves, the WhatsApp conversation about it all with Josh, myself, Santosh, and Olaf, and even any new clues that we have found. You can even join the investigation and add anything you have found to help us dive deeper into the mystery. You will also get access to other Fearscape-related things, such as extended interviews with guests not aired on the show, early access to Estes sessions with us and friends, and so much more. Wristwatch is a Patreon exclusive for our most dedicated fans. Join today and discover why the truth is now. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Uh, thank you guys for sticking around so much to go over this report that Josh said the full title is. Are you going to make me scroll back up and read it again? Yeah, because I don't have Prelimin- Preliminary assessment, colon, unidentified aerial phenomena. What's that got to do with a colon? You're all backed up. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I do want to preface this by saying that, Josh, uh, you did do a very brief uh, uh, YouTube live or Facebook live. Yeah, YouTube live. Like YouTube live video, minutes. kind of quickly talking about it as soon as it dropped. Um, so we did discuss it just a hair. And uh, so we did want to take this opportunity to kind of go over this. So a uh, little background on this, of course, if, if, if you're new to listening here, the last couple of years have been crazy in terms of like the government or military aspects coming forward and kind of saying there are things out there that we are not sure what they are. Um, Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and uh, To The Stars Academy and those people kind of helped propagate that and push it out there. Um, The show Unidentified um, is also out there that kind of helped push that narrative as well. And it pushed uh, Senator Marco Rubio to get involved, um, he's kind of become the new Harry Reid, essentially, in Congress, pushing for um, 
disclosure. And uh, so we have seen the Pentagon come out and say, yes, we don't know what this is. We do say that these videos are, are real and accurate. We've had the Navy do that as well. Um, and I got to the point where basically as part of a bill, Marco Rubio got it put in there that said that part of this bill that we're putting out, I don't even remember what it was for, probably COVID really, COVID. who knows, yep. and uh, said that we need to know within 90 days or whatever it may be. 180. 180 days. Thank you. We need to know what information there is uh, on the UAP and kind of do um, some in-depth research to try to find out what the government knows and what we can find out what it is. And I'm going to hand it over to you, Josh. Yeah. So um, uh, this was all put together uh, by the office of the director of national intelligence or the ODNI. Um, I'm not going to talk about the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. It probably has something to do with national intelligence, though. Um, probably. That's a good <clears> guess. Yeah, it's a good guess. It probably involves a director at some, some level. Uh, probably sits in an office. So, yeah. Um, in response to the provision in the Senate report, which is what you were talking about, which is 116-233, um, accompanying the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021, uh, the DNI in consultation with the Secretary of Defense, SecDef, for those in the biz, is to submit an intelligent assessment of the threat posed by unidentified aerial phenomena and the progress of the Department of Defense Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force has made an understanding this threat. So, Basically, it says, <laughs> basically, it says we were asked to put this together. We worked with a bunch of people to do so. And here's what we found. Uh, it goes on to say a bunch of stuff about like, you know, this was a report to policymakers and providing a means to development relevant processes and policies and technologies and training for the U.S. military, which, you know, side note, has never stopped in the last, you know, 50 years that since the, the death of Project Blue Book, there's always been policies and training and stuff for U.S. military and what to do when these kind of things occur. But yep. even though they said there wasn't, even though they said there wasn't. So and that's there's actually been quite a few military people who have since come out of the woodwork to say, yeah, that's always been a thing. There's always been a section in the manual that said, here's what you do if you have a UAP sighting. And, and despite what a lot of people think, UAP is not a new term. It's been around since the 50s, like we talked about with Kathleen Martin. Well, we talked you know, about yeah. it with Jason McClellan, too. I think he Dude, said it yeah. was even back even further, maybe even like yeah. the 30s. Or the something. 30s or 40s, yeah. But, I mean, so it's not a new term. Uh, it's just new to be used outside of military jargon, let's say. Yeah, trying to kind of mainstream it in a comfortable way as – UFO became mainstreamed in a very science fiction way. Yeah. Well, and into into when we talked about it with Jason, to the point of if you have to say UAP, what is more commonly known as UFO, then have you really <laughs> distanced yourself from the term? You right. Know? Or like uh, John Tenney saying, all those hardcore UAP uh, users out there saying we need to stop using UFO, still hashtag UFO Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the director of the UAP task force is the accountable official to ensuring a timely collection and consolidation of data on UAP. The data set. Now, this is the important part here. So the data set that they actually looked at when they put this report together 
um, was limited primarily to U.S. government reporting of incidents occurring from November 2004 to March 2021. So November 2004 would be right around the time of the Tic Tac video when that actually occurred. So essentially, um, the 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 shit that already got released is basically yeah, what they're looking at. What they started at. So they started there, then they came forward to March 2021, which basically says March 2021 is when they actually started looking at data because I feel like they would have, you know, or maybe they, they stopped looking at new data as of March 2021 and then compiled the report three months uh, later and released it. So, yeah. um, so it just says data continues to be collected and analyzed uh, as it relates to the task force. Um, it goes on to say, you know, again, in the beginnings of just kind of who all was involved in um, drafting the report. There was input from uh, the DIA, FBI, NRO, NGA, NSA, Air Force, Army, Navy, DARPA, which is basically everybody. Everybody was involved in trying to debunk uh, these things or come up with a reason to pull the wool over America. Anyways, um, <laughs> not my, you know, but whatever. So there were some not my America. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there were some assumptions that were made um, in whatever. So various forms of sensors that register UAP generally operate correctly and capture enough real data to allow initial assessments. But some UAP may be attributable to sensor anomalies. So Which that was an very interesting because that right there already kind of can say, hey, you want to know why there's not great footage? Here's a reason that's potentially yeah. why. Yeah. Or, um, or to say that... Um, to me, it also gives an out, right? It, it's it gives them the ability to say that's not a UAP; it's a it's a glitch in the system because we're making this assumption early on that there are some sensor anomalies that occur. Right. Well, I um, mean, this whole thing is is like filled with information yet filled with outs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Typical government document, basically. Um. So. It goes on in, into the actual executive summary, which uh, basically says that the limited amount of high quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers their ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. Um, now, if you if you go back to when they first announced the UAP task force and this report was coming. Um, now if you go back and listen to all the podcast episodes where we talked about the report, I have been pretty consistent in saying what it'll be. It'll be a shit's out there. We need more money and resources to go figure it out. Well, and that's that's what it's always been. I mean, yep. they, this is like we've talked about before. This is not the first time that, uh, you know, Harry Reid's tried to push this stuff. There's in the 70s or stuff, which all these leads to things like the Brookings report and the Condon yep. report and all these right. different things. That basically leads to someone else going, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it, guys. It's not yeah, really real. It's while not they really go and real. do more research yeah. on right. the sly. Right. So, because I get it. I get it. At the same time, it's like, I get why things are secret. It's like, we have TV and internet. You don't want them showing the brand new plane that's not going to be seen by radar to because the other foreign countries that are maybe not our allies can also see that. So, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Can also see that. So, I, it's like, I get it at the same time, but man. 
but also I feel like you know as many as as, as far back in in our recorded history that we have reports of the black triangles air you know the, the black triangle craft if we had that advanced aircraft for that long would we still be fighting wars with airplanes that jet engines require i mean no we would know, be like how long does it need to be secret i mean what what does I mean, just the, showing what it looked like do well i mean so the like the blackbird right that was that was actually started in the 50s and then not made public until like what the late 80s yeah so i mean it you know 30 years i guess but i mean but still i mean if we we supposedly people have been seeing these black triangle craft for going back to the 50s you would think there would be already you know something out there about it so right well and just like you said you know here's something in the 50s and then 35 years later is when we see it so if we're looking at a 35 year window what else has been done yeah. in 35 year increments you know like hell what's right. being worked on right now that in 30 years we're going to find out about well, I mean, the Vanta back, you know, the Vanta black paint is probably what they're painting these craft with, so that they can't be seen in the night sky. But, anyways, um, everything that happens that's cool for consumers probably got you know started first with the military. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it says here that the UAP task force considered a range of information on UAP described in U.S. military and intelligence committee reporting. But because the reporting lacks sufficient specificity, ultimately recognized that a unique, tailored reporting process was required to provide sufficient data for analysis of UAP events. What this basically says is, yes, we've had a policy to collect UAP data for 50 plus years, but it's crappy because we don't actually want to spend any time or effort looking into these things. We now need an actual good kind of process and policy for collecting sufficient data so that we can actually look in to what these things are instead of grainy you know um uh, night vision goggle uh footage from the deck of an aircraft carrier we need to figure out you know an actual if you encounter uap here's what you need to try to use here's what you need to try to capture and so on and so forth um so it's you know it says here that as a result of you know these limited uh data elements uh the task force concentrated its review on reports that occurred between 2004 and 2021 the majority of which are the result of this new tailored process to better capture uap events through formalized reporting now have they have they admitted to atip yet or are they still holding that close no, that, actually, none, I don't think anywhere in this report does it talk about ATIP. Well, I didn't even necessarily mean the report. Just since this has been released, are they coming clean about ATIP at all? Well, is I mean, it, the, the Pentagon, I mean, so in a way, because the Pentagon released a statement uh, several months ago that said, yes, ATIP was a program, but Luis Elizondo was never associated with it, which brought into question Luis Elizondo's credibility, credibility mm-hmm. which which resulted in like Harry Reid releasing a, an official letter saying, you know, yes, Lewis was a part of uh, the program and he headed it up and all this kind of stuff. So so basically the Crazy, Pentagon had admitted it to the program in, a, in an effort to discredit Lou. So it's you know. so funny because it's like it's it's like even the military and the government is having a hard time in this new technology, social media environment that 
even they have trouble covering their own asses these days, you know, because there's so many well leaks and just there's well there's well a lot of people and I don't, I don't even really fully I think understand or, or or comprehend the level of it, but but the U.S. government is is very compartmentalized. Um, I mean, to the point where, you know, they joke about, does the left hand know what the right hand's doing? And no, it doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. in, the, in this matter, the, the, the left hand pinky doesn't know what the pinky nail is doing. I mean, it's that compartmentalized. And so um, for someone in like press communications or their social media, you know, social media uh, accounts for, for the government and, and the people who work in the government, mm-hmm. for them to keep up with all the different things that are flying around out there, it's got to be, there's got to be a whole freaking branch of the military that's dedicated to containment, basically. So, well, and then you've got the whole Trump era fake news stuff, you know, not believing anything the media says, you know, to this, it's like it flip flops. Are we going to believe the media? Or are we going to believe the government? It seems like yeah. now it's like one or the other, you know, because I thank goodness I haven't heard much fake news horseshit when it came to this. That a lot of people are strangely behind this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, and that's what I mean. And we'll get into a, what I perceive as some of the benefits mm-hmm. of this report in a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's definitely being perceived well. So uh, it says here that most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects. Now that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Do represent physical objects given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors, including radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual obser- observation. Which definitely goes against Krista Alexander's theory of lights in the skies only being kind of holographic right. lights. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think I've, I've seen a couple of her posts on her group lately, you know, basically arguing that these are not physical objects. Even when we had her on the show, that was a point that she wanted to make. These are not physical objects, whereas this report says, nope, they are. Yeah. I think um, she's, I mean, she's had <clears throat> some Facebook Live videos that she's been doing, and you can even see there's, she's starting to doubt and question some things since this report was released as well, which is really interesting. Yep. Um, you know, but uh, that being said, uh, one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit is that it doesn't have to be one thing, right? Right, exactly. Um, there can be physical objects and there can be light critters right Hard you know light soft light that, whatever, are, yeah. that are floating around in the sky i mean it doesn't have to be one or the other Agreed. so 100 agree um so it says here that in a number in a limited number of incidents the uap reported appear to exhibit unusual flight characteristics these observations could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing, or observer misconception and require additional rigorous analysis. Ugh, so, so skeptics. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, this could be. So there's our out. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the one hand, I, I, I like that it, yeah, I mean, it, it does it does present them with an out, and it presents skeptics with <laughs> the, the fuel they need right. to keep their fires burning. But what it does say is that, you know, we're, and require additional rigorous analysis. So it's not a, they didn't just end it at observer misconception. They added the line of require additional rigorous analysis to imply that we need to dig into these things more. Mm -hmm. Again, getting back to the, we need more resources to go off and figure this out. Right. But, you know, again, they could have killed it after observer misconception and, and let it die. Yeah. But they went on. 
Right. And I think a lot of that is the potential threat aspect, which we'll get into more, but that's why. So next up here, and this kind of gets to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Uh, they said there are probably multiple types of UAP requiring different explanations based on the range of appearances and behaviors described in the available reporting. So it says our analysis of the data supports the construct that if and when individual UAP incidents are resolved, they will fall into one of five potential explanatory categories. One, airborne clutter. So this is just debris that's right, floating so, around, yeah. you know, falling out of the sky, whatever the case it could be. could be satellites coming in, yeah. breaking up, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Um, natural atmospheric phenomena is the second one. Interesting so this is the things like phenomena. So I, I guess like Northern Lights would fall into that category. Yeah, or like ball lightning, which is what everybody wants to jump to whenever they oh, talk yeah. about UFOs. Swamp gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a weather balloon filled with swamp gas. So I mean, heat um, lightning's legit, man. I've seen that many. In oh, movies, I, so. yeah, it definitely is. Uh, well, heat heat lightning is just lightning on a hot day. Ball lightning, though, is different. And, yeah, I know. In most most ball lightning, like only occurs for like a blip like it doesn't it doesn't hang around in the sky for 15 minutes and float by you you know but yep. but anyways so the third uh, bucket on the list is u.s government or u.s industry developmental programs so this gets back to like experimental craft and things like that that we talked about before which is interesting because that also is them admitting that that is a real thing oh yeah as well. so i don't think anybody says it's not we we know i know for a fact we're doing developmental programs we've been doing developmental programs for the last mm-hmm. 70 years why would we stop now yeah um you know and I, and i don't think them putting this as a bucket necessarily implies that they're developing you know alien based spacecraft it just means that they're working on things to try to enhance their presence on the battlefield right and, and that and this also them. implies that hey if you're seeing something it could also, you know, more than likely be in one of these categories, including the developmental program side. Yeah, and it's important here that they call out U.S. industry developmental programs because mm-hmm. this includes things like Amazon's drone program. I was going to say, yeah, and Star, things like, Starlink yeah, and Starlink and, and things like that. Exactly. Um, so the fourth bucket is foreign adversary systems. So this is basically the same as the third bucket but for anybody that's not in the u.s yeah and this is the one that scares everyone and is probably going to get us the funding oh yeah for sure yeah um and then the fifth bucket to me this fifth one is a cop-out josh but go ahead yeah is other so that's what it that's that's the fifth bucket i hate other i hate it (laughs) Like if 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 I was designing this form, like you know, there's a form online. Maybe somebody has to go fill out. If they choose the if they chose the category of other, they should get a mandatory explained field that they have to fill in. Yep. Other is such a nice way to not say definitively extraterrestrial. Well, or other know. other to me implies. I mean, I'm okay with an other bin because. As long as the the stuff that gets put in other still gets attention. Yeah. Well, that and that's my fear because I feel like they know more than they're saying that goes into other to make it an official bucket. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so the next up is the UAP, uh, UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Woo, that's a big one. That's a big one. And now you're like, oh, so no wonder the FAA was involved yeah. in this as well. Well, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, think of how many in the show Unidentified and other documentaries of the sort did they have commercial airline pilots on mm-hmm. talking about craft that, that approached their commercial airline? How many spooky news stories have we yeah. shared that have been from airline right. pilots? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. Uh, I don't necessarily buy in to the national security threat um, because if they've been visiting us, if, if whatever is out there has been coming here for at least at least documented for the last 100 years um, and they haven't done anything to interfere or hurt us in any way, shape or form to date. Why would they suddenly choose to do so? Like I was thinking about it the other day. If there was an alien race that wanted to come to earth and conquer it, why not do it when we were riding around on fucking horses? Mm-hmm. Then wait till now when we have advanced weaponry. And well, the ancient astronaut theory says that they may have. Well, yeah, millions of years ago. But I, I'm talking about like recently. Even if you go back to the 1930s and the 40s when they were when, when people were seeing things, why not do it then mm-hmm. and not now when we have much and more advanced weaponry? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it all depends on whether or not we are our leadership has always been involved you know like well but that's they, what i'm saying yeah. what, all, all i'm trying to say is i don't think there's a national security threat because there's been ample opportunity for them to do something why wait until we have better weaponry to defend ourselves sure uh, well and i just think national security threat means we're not sure what it is and everything has the potential to be bad yeah if we can't label it then it must be bad mm-hmm. or it could be bad i guess yeah, is the right bad. So, I mean, it basically says that safety concerns uh, primarily center on aviators contending with an increasingly cluttered air domain. Uh, UAP would also represent a national security challenge if they are, if they fall into that bucket of foreign adversary collection platforms um, or provide evidence a potential adversary has developed either a breakthrough or disruptive technology. So again, that fourth bucket we talked about, the foreign adversary systems, this I, I think this is what this line applies to. Yeah, I agree. So, um, and, and I think if we actually look at these as to what bucket this paragraph aligns to, so this paragraph aligns to the fourth bucket, the foreign adversary systems. Um, it'll be interesting to see as we read through this. If is there a is there a paragraph that directly relates to the other bucket? So as we kind of listen to these things and, mm-hmm. and think see. about the buckets. Um, so the next up is consistent consolidation of reports from across the federal government, standardized reporting, increased collection and analysis, and a streamlined process for screening all such reports against a broad range of relevant USG data will allow for a more sophisticated analysis of UAP that is likely to deepen our understanding. God, that's a freaking run-on sentence if I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> My English teacher in high school is freaking yelling at somebody right now. Mm-hmm. So. But um, so it just basically says, you know, some of these steps are resource intensive and would require additional investment. And at this point, you know, it's like I think the people are screaming, hey, 
it shouldn't just be these government AG agencies being investigated. I, I mean, at this point, they need to partner with MUFON and New Fork to, you know, really dig deep because these folks, especially MUFON, have done fantastic research. I mean, they talk well, to everybody that they can. So I think where I think where this is going, and we'll and we'll get there in just a minute. But I think where this is going, and this is where folks like MUFON and New Fork, I don't think can help. But I think people like uh, uh, Jeremy um, McGowan. Uh, McGowan and his Osiris system can, mm-hmm. um, and that is uh, multiple sensor data. Sure. New Fork and MUFON focus primarily on you know end user testimony. Right, and, and I do. I, I think that that should be part of it, though. You know, I mean, especially if you create a database and can run strings. Sure, but check to see but, how many types of things, where were they located, what time, and all of these things. Oh, I, I mean, I, yeah. So that, so, so in my opinion, what that would do is that would create uh, a picture for um, potential hotspots where you would go set up mm-hmm. data collecting systems and monitor over a certain period of time in order to collect additional data. You know, so it's it's used used reporting as like like you know like set up like a, a string map if you will, but use that to figure out. Let's go here and set up our Sky Hub to record for mm-hmm. you know a month and see what kind of data we collect. Sure, I guess so. I I just I I'm interested in the other side of things. You know, I, like for example, it's like we never heard of a Tic Tac until this thing. It's like is Tic Tac just the new cigar shape? You know. Yeah, well, that's what we talked about with yeah. uh, with Jason, but like the the way that and, and I I don't want to discredit um, eyewitness testimony because I have had some amazing eyewitness things that I know for a fact uh, that what I saw was not you know anything that that we know about. But um, that being said, the way that it's going to convince people to a spend money um, to for them to continue the research and b is going to lead towards the development of new processes, policies, technologies, so on and so forth, is with multiple data source points. Right. So essentially what you're saying is is we're moving out of a Project Blue Book type investigation and moving into t- more towards a, an, a scientific collegiate oh, I, type of investigation. Because, you know, Blue Book was really about the the eyewitness testimonies and then taking a look at the areas and things like that. Whereas, the you know, you're saying this really moves towards using the technology that we have and finding um, uh, new sources that we can find um, and using data points to collect on yeah. something we collect as a right. we have already collected. Like if somebody were to take um, and come up, like take a Raspberry Pi or something mm-hmm. like that, like a little Arduino or something, and come up with a cheap little um, home uh, data collection device. Like all it has on it is like a GPS, a little micro camera, um, you know, a time something that records time, you know, something like that. Just and like if if anybody who joined MUFON was able to get one of those and like it came like a little you know cigar case type size mm-hmm. box and it's okay you join MUFON okay at this level you get your data collection device at your home you know here's like you connect it to the Wi-Fi you set it up outside of your in your yard and you just let it run all day long 
And I'm just like all, new, new Fearscape Patreon level coming yeah. soon. <laughs> and then all that, and then all that data feeds into some massive database, and then a bunch of people get together and they do data analysis, and they they look for anomalies, and then they compare the data points for those anomalies, and that is how we figure out what is actually in the sky, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I was just trying to help clarify. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, I like that idea. Copyright, hashtag copyright, <laughs> hashtag poor man's copyright yeah. on a mini data point Skyhub box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't call it a Skyhub box. That's copyrighted. Oh, but anyways, sorry. Skyhub yeah, box. Uh, we'll call it UAP data collection device. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. I, I will tell you, um, our friend from college, Aaron Lenny, him and I went to Best Buy one time and uh, they had a shelf. Uh, they were getting rid of Raspberry Pis. He bought like, I think there was like 50 of them. He bought every one of them. They were on there for like 15 bucks a piece because they yeah. were getting rid of them. This is before everybody was starting to use them. And so he bought a ton of them and then was able to use them and build things and, and sell yeah. them. Like, I mean, they make, a, they make a Raspberry Pi Zero, which is small. It's only like mm-hmm. the size of our phones, basically, as far as the dimensions. But anyways, um, we're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll brainstorm how to build that later. Yeah. Um, so uh, it basically says that, again, they looked at data from 2004. So we're getting into the actual uh, report itself. So the meat of the report. So what we've, what we've looked at before is just basically, you know, a high level summary. This is our findings. We're going to group things in buckets. And uh, these are the things we're really concerned about. Now, the actual report is, in their words, largely inconclusive. In, in, in the subtitle they are screaming that in full caps boy <laughs> yep the subtitle for this section is limited data leaves most UAP unexplained so it says I think limit- this report should have just been called duh yeah <laughs> I mean you know it should have just like had somebody making a duh face as a meme gif or something <laughs> like um, but so it says limited data and inconsistency in reporting are key challenges to evaluating the UAP. As we talked about before, no standardized reporting mechanism existed until the Navy established one in March 2019. The Air Force subsequently adopted that mechanism in November 2020, but it remains limited in USG reporting. Uh, the UAP task force regularly heard anecdotal uh, anecdotally during its research about other observations that occurred, but which were never captured in formal or informal reporting by those observers. And and I wonder how much of that is the taboo, right, associated with mm-hmm. seeing these things and reporting them. 100%. So. Especially, I mean, I don't care if you're male or female or transgendered or what, the military is still macho. Yeah. And, you know, any of that stuff can feel non-macho and you don't want to say anything. Yep. Or just, you know, there, there are also um, a, a lot of people who are of the over of the mindset that you know UAPs and UFOs are demons and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and and so there are a lot of those religious people in the military. So if they see something they can't explain, they chop it up to either a demon or an angel and move on. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so after carefully considering this information, the UAP task force focused on reports that involved UAP largely witnessed firsthand by military aviators and that were collected from systems we consider to be reliable. Which is interesting. Uh, Well, it says systems here, 
So systems we consider to be reliable. Systems in this context, I believe, is things like radar mm-hmm. um, and, and the, the things that we you know kind of listed off above. Yeah, so, 100%. Um, these reports describe incidents that occurred again between 2004 and 2021, with the majority coming in the last two years as the new reporting mechanism became better known to the military aviation community. Basically saying once it became okay to talk about it. Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, We were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflated balloon. (laughs) I wonder if that was the Batman one. Yeah, I don't know. What says deflated? That, That seems like that you know, it says deflating. That, oh, deflating. I mean, but still, in the process of yeah, deflating. <laughs> but it also could be that thing that you all, you know, the weather balloon that was seen over Arizona. But that was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, I think it's possibly that one that the, people thought the was Batman, Batman balloon. balloon. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it says that 144 reports originated from USG resources. Of these. 80 reports involved observation with multiple sensors. Uh, Most reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planned training or other military activity. Wow. So out of 144, 143 are still unidentified. Um, No, I don't think that's what... Well, They said they were only able to identify one. With it high says, confidence. It says we were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. That that's doesn't what I'm mean they, they can't identify any of them. Well, that, I mean, that's what everybody is posting online, and that's what I agree, too, is that essentially 143 of them are still essentially unidentified. Yeah, I mean, I mean this, this... Because if, this you can't, real... if you can't identify something with high confidence, it's not identified. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, right? We'll... I mean, am I right? I don't know. High confidence, medium confidence, low. Co- I mean, low confidence, obviously not identified, but I don't know. I guess. I, I mean, guess I were... guess it could have been a bird. <laughs> no, it doesn't identify it as a bird. Yeah. Could have been a goddamn hippopotamus out there. You don't know. <laughs> but it's so regardless, it's interesting to me yeah. that 143 are not fully verified identifiable. Yeah. yeah. Out yeah, of 144. Yeah, I feel like they would have called that out somewhere in the document if that was different. So and 80 of them, which is all like over half of them, involved observation with multiple sensors, and they still do not have high confidence in their identification. Yep. Um, so it, it, there's a little section here that actually calls out the UAP collection challenges. And the very first item that starts the sentence sociocultural stigmas amen um but i mean and then it goes on to talk about sensor limitations and radar clutter and all kinds of uh you know narratives from aviators and the operational community and analysts from the military um you know associated with observing uap reporting it attempting to discuss it with colleagues Although the effects of these stigmas have lessened as senior members of the scientific policy, military, and intelligent communities engage on the topic seriously in public, reputable risk may be, keep observers silent 
uh, complicating uh, scientific pursuit on the topic. That's cute that they essentially almost kind of say they're the reason for the taboo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it does say that, you know, sensors mounted on the U.S. military platforms are typically designed to fulfill specific missions. As a result, these sensors are not generally suited for identifying UAP. I mean, that agree. If you're if you got a sensor that's looking for an airplane and it sees something else, it, you know, it's not going to know how to treat it or what to do with it. So. Exactly. I mean, it's like our phones and cameras aren't meant to videotape a flying object in the sky. Right. So, yeah, agreed. I agree with that. Um, so it does say here, though, that some potential patterns uh, have emerged or do emerge. Um, although there is a wide variability in reports and the late data set is currently too limited to allow for detailed trend or pattern analysis, there was some clustering of UAP observations regarding shape, size, and particularly propulsion. Size matters, my friend. Yep. Well, when, that's why it's cigar-shaped. Yep. Uh, Real men make twins, yo. <laughs> uh, UAP sightings also tended to cluster around U.S. training and testing grounds. Um, but we assess that this may result from a collection bias as a result of focused attention. So basically, if all you're talking to is pilots who are doing training sessions and they're the ones reporting the sightings, then that's all, you know, all the sightings are going to be around testing facilities. Right. It does remind me of that story that's in Albuquerque outside of uh, the Air Force Base there where that guy uh, observed all those uh, UAPs constantly coming in and out of that the airport there and flying erratically and yep. doing all that stuff yeah um it says that uh a handful of uap appear to demonstrate advanced technology in 18 incidents described across 21 reports observers reported unusual uap movement patterns or flight characteristics um some uap appear to remain stationary in winds uh move against the wind maneuver abruptly or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. Um, in a small number of cases, military aircraft systems possessed, excuse me, processed radio frequency energy associated with UAP sightings. Hmm. Um, it says that the UAP task force holds a small amount of data that appeared to show UAP demonstrating acceleration or a degree of signature management. Additional rigorous analysis are necessary by multiple teams or groups of technical experts to determine the nature and validity of this data. Hmm. Um, so it goes on here to say that UAP probably lack a single explanation. Um, this is again gets gets into the five groupings that we mentioned about briefly earlier. Right. I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna read through what they classify in each one of these five buckets. Um, so the first again was airborne clutter. Uh, these objects include birds, balloons, um, recreational unmanned aerial vehicles (UAVs), uh, airborne debris like plastic bags that muddle a scene and affect the operator's ability to identify true targets such as enemy aircraft. So it's like drones fits into that? Yep. So recreational okay. unmanned aerial vehicles. That's what is, I thought. Okay. Is, yeah, it's a drone. So um, so nat natural atmospheric phenomena, that is 
uh, ice crystals, uh, moisture, thermal fluctuations, um, things like that that may register on infrared or radar systems. Yeah, that almost that almost feels like haunting stuff. The opposite of that, right? Cold yeah. spots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, USG or industry uh, development or program. So some UAP observations could be attributable to developments of classified programs by U.S. entities. We were unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. Interesting. Very interesting on that bit. Yep. So it basically says it could be classified programs, but we checked with everybody and they didn't say they were operating their craft around the times that these reporting yeah, came in. That's cool. Um, foreign adversary systems. So this is, again, things that may be developed and deployed by China, Russia, another nation. The interesting line here, this very last entry, is non-governmental entities. So, so that's well, contracting companies, basically. Oh, is that what you're saying? I was thinking of, like, Cobra. And no, no. This is like Decepticons. If, yeah. So this is like if Lockheed Martin is developing something outside of a defense contract with the U.S. Mm, okay. So then, yeah, again, that kind of hits, you know, anything that Musk could be doing that he's not. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other one. Now, this actually the other bucket actually has the largest paragraph of classification of all the buckets. So. This says, although most of the UAP described in our data set probably remain unidentified due to limited data or challenges to collection, processing, or analysis, we may require additional scientific knowledge to successfully collect on, analyze, and characterize some of them. We would group such objects in this category pending scientific advances that allow us to better understand them. The UAP task force intends to focus additional analysis on the small number of cases where a UAP appeared to display unusual flight characteristics or signature management. So this basically says if it goes in the other bucket, that's where they're going to focus their attention. Cool. So my big question is, is, um, you know, the, the, this is the office of the director of national intelligence. Were they given access to everything? You know, I mean, and they only had 180 days, right, to put yeah. this together. So, so those two things. So I think probably two things. One, they were probably given limited access to some people. I don't think they were given any access to files in like the special programs that Stephen Greer talks about. Mm -hmm. They were probably given like a contact to say, you can call this person and ask them if they were operating in this in this area at the time of the report, and they'll tell you if they were or not. But they won't give you any additional information. And then two. This is the unclassified report. Right. There, there is a classified report that contains more information that we will never see. Right. And it did go to Congress. So there are members of Congress that did see it. Yeah. So. Well, but I mean, there's probably even a classified report that like members of Congress probably don't see. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is that's just the nature of these things. That there's there's the there's the there's the copy that you let everybody see. There's the copy you let some people see. And there's a copy that f four people see. So, you know, and again, it's all odd that all of this coincides with Space Force and yeah. <laughs> just so much interesting things. But I'll, I'll let you continue on. Yep. So uh, the next little section talks about the actual threat uh, to flight safety and national security. Um, so it says here that, 
you know, there's some ongoing airspace concerns. Um, when aviators encounter safety hazards, they are required to report these concerns depending on the location, volume, behavior. Uh, pilots may cease their tests and or training and land their aircraft, which has a deterrent effect on reporting. Um, and note here, it says the a UAP task force has 11 reports of documented instances in which pilots reported near misses with a UAP. And again, that's just from 2004 to 2021. Yeah, and that's only military. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who, who knows what's happening in the commercial sector? Um, even military. I mean, we've really only kind of talked about the Navy and the Air Force. I mean, we haven't talked about Army or Space Force or anything that they've... Well, Space Force doesn't have any aircraft. Um, Army only really deals in helicopters, which don't get up that high to interact with that kind of stuff. Do they not do the airborne rangers and stuff anymore? Is that not a... Well, they they do, but Army doesn't have... Army has has predominantly helicopters and some transport So it's not Army that's flying the 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 army when they're flying no okay. navy ha- Na- contrary to popular belief navy actually has the largest attack aircraft force mm-hmm. uh air force focuses predominantly on recon air- aircraft and um cargo and yeah. delivery and all that kind of stuff so yeah i knew that anyways so uh potential national security challenges um it just says we currently lack data to indicate any UAP are a part of a foreign collection program or indicative of a major technological advancement by a potential adversary. So this basically says we don't have any evidence that it's Russia, China, whatever, that's spying on us or developing this stuff. Uh, we continue to monitor for evidence of such programs given the counterintelligence challenge they would pose, particularly as some UAP have been detected near military facilities or by aircraft carrying the U.S. government's most advanced sensor systems. So again, this to me says, we looked at 144 reports. We know one was a balloon. The rest of them are not national security. Like They don't fall into that fourth bucket of adversarial uh, programs that they know of. Okay. Um, so it says here that uh, standardized reporting, consolidating the data, and deepening the analysis is how we will explain UAP. Um, so it basically goes on here to say, I mean, there's a big long paragraph that lays it all out, but it basically says we need more money. <laughs> um, to you know, ba- yeah, the UAP task force has begun to develop interagency analytical and processing workflows to ensure both collection and analysis will be well-informed and coordinated. The majority of UAP data is from the U.S. Navy reporting, but efforts are underway to standardize incident reporting across U.S. military services and other government agencies to ensure all relevant data is captured with respect to particular incidents and any U.S. activities that might be relevant. The UAP task force is currently working to acquire additional reporting, including from the U.S. Air Force, and has begun receiving data from the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. So quick, before you get into this, the um, the UAP task force is under, is it under national intelligence? Is that? No, it's under the Navy. It is under the Navy? Okay. Yeah. So um, 
It says, although the U.S. Air Force data collection has been limited historically, the USA Air Force began a six-month pilot program in November 2020 to collect the most likely areas to encounter UAP and is evaluating how to normalize future collection reporting and analysis across the entire Air Force. I remember that. I remember when the Air Force kind of came clean with some stuff. Yep. Um, although, <clears throat> again, my, my dad was in the Air Force for way, you know, 71, and he said there's stuff in the handbook about how to report it, and he remembers hearing from pilots who would fly overseas and stuff and come back and report seeing things. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not like it's not been there in the Air Force. It's just they now have officially adopted the same program that the Navy has in order to collect it. Um, the FAA captures data related to UAP during the normal course of managing air traffic operations. Uh, the FAA generally adjusts this data when pilots and other airspace users report unusual or unexpected events to the FAA's air traffic organization. In addition, the FAA continuously monitors <clears throat> its systems for anomalies, generating additional information that may be of use to the UAP task force. The FAA is able to isolate data of interest to the AP task force to make it available. Very cool. Um, and actually, I, I read something the other day that says that the FAA is actually more, and even, and even some individual airlines are more open to their pilots reporting this kind of stuff yeah. than, the, than the government and the military has been. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the next little section here basically talks about how um, they're looking for new ways to increase collection of UAP cluster areas when U.S. forces are not present as a way to baseline uh, standard UAP activity and mitigate the collection bias of the data set. So again, like what I was talking about before, uh, cluster areas would be hotspots in that terminology. They're basically trying to figure out what can we set out there, what um what monitoring can we do in those cluster areas so that when we're not operating training activities, are there still things happening that we can capture? Mm-hmm. Uh, increase investment in research and development. Um, there is a uh, UAP collection strategy, UAP research and development technical roadmap, and a UAP program plan. Shit, I'm over here like... UAP task force if y'all do a GoFundMe you'll probably get more from there than you will the government I don't know I mean because everybody be like yes I <laughs> don't know money <laughs> I don't know I don't know if that I mean I don't know if that's true because the government has you know billions of dollars to work yeah but with how much that. are they going to give these guys for real I mean if they said it was a threat well we'll see <laughs> we'll see we'll see when we reconvene yeah. on this and whenever the next time they have to do a public report yeah, I mean, that, so that basically concludes. There's a there's a little appendix down at the bottom that kind of gives some definitions of some terms, um, and then uh, there's the um, uh, Senate report accompanying the Intelligence Authorization Act, fiscal year 2021. That's that's basically the the broader um, what what the expected result was, a detailed analysis of a unified identified phenomena data collected by uh, different types of intelligence a detailed analysis of the data uh, by the FBI basically lays out out everything that was expected in the report and how they met those expectations right and I do have quickly I wanted to read is uh, Marco Rubio's 
um, statement on the UAP report because, you know, he's the one that really pushed all this. And so it's actually on his website. And it says here, his statement says, For years, the men and women we trust to defend our country reported encounters with unidentified aircraft that had superior capabilities, and for years, their concerns were often ignored and ridiculed. This report is an important first step in cataloging these incidents, but it is that, just a first step. The Defense Department and intelligence community have a lot of work to do before we can actually understand whether these aerial threats present a serious national security concern. And it's interesting his terminology there because he calls them aerial threats and then says wondering if they're actually a national security. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you just called them a threat, Rubio. Well, I mean, and this is where you know we, we, we've talked about the things before and, and I don't know, I've read it some other places as well. And it's and it's called out in um, um, what's her name? The, the, the lady who wrote the article along with Ralph Brumenthal. I'm totally blanking on her name right now. Oh my goodness, it's gonna bug me. <clears throat> Anyways, um, but she she wrote a book that is uh, it's like uh, generals and, yeah, and politicians or whatever go on the record about aerial phenomena. So in that book, though, they talk about how uh, threat basically means it's an unknown, and because it's an unknown, it threatens our airspace or you know what we're what we're you know the, the area that we're working in because right. to the point to the point that the report makes i mean if you're flying along you know here we go I, I just flew out to arizona let's say i'm flying back from arizona and a, and a uap you know gets in the lane or the or the track if you will that the airplane is taking they've got to take you know and they've got to change their flight i mean it's just until we know and until we can understand and potentially um avoid or um, stop potentially. Um, what you know? How these things are coming close? And it, somebody pointed out that you know, to to these craft or to the occupants of these craft, we're likely just like zoo animals. And when they come close to us, it's you know they they didn't read the sign that says you know don't climb into the cage, and they and they climbed into the cage, and they want to see more up close. And that's how that um, poor gorilla gets shot. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, one of the things that I, um, was thinking about today and, and we've actually seen this quite a bit recently and I, and I mentioned it to you earlier. Um, one of the things that this report does unofficially, if you will, or maybe not unofficially, but it doesn't come right out and say it is this gives, uh, either current or former government employees, the ability to talk about their experiences mm -hmm. because now that the u.s government has gone on record as saying yes there's shit we can't explain and it's going to go in this other bucket it has you know it's given vindication a to people in the military who have been experiencing these things for years and b it, i think it gives them the ability to say hey my boss who i gave the oath to has said you know, yep, you can go off and talk about these things, 
So it's okay if I talk about these things. Yeah, and so. we've been seeing a lot more of that in the UFO community and Facebook yeah. groups, a lot more military people coming forward. In fact, what, in two weeks, we've got ex-military that's going to be sharing yeah. uh, his UAP experiences. Um, so that'll be interesting. We all actually have some uh, military personnel that'll be, that he's going to be talking about. So, yeah. I mean, this is people are more comfortable talking about it now, and and, and they're encouraged to do so. And, and for whatever reason, um, right, wrong, or indifferent, um, military personnel who have sightings are given higher credibility than you or I. Correct. And at first, I was a little butthurt about it because, <laughs> you know, my experiences are just as valid as somebody else's. But at the end of the day, if it moves the ball down the field, I'm okay with it. Yep. So, and uh, did you go over your kind of thoughts on everything? Like, said you were going to, or uh, yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thing is, you know, my yeah, my my like like I said, this this could have gone a different way, right? They could have come out and said there is no other bucket. Mm-hmm. We can explain everything, um, which is essentially what they did in the past. And with it, yeah, exactly. The Condon report killed everything for you know. Killed Blue Book, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, Some people have theorized that this report will lead to the broader report that'll be like what the Conant report does or did that will kill everything. But I don't think that's true. Um, You know, one of the things that we really have going for us today that didn't exist in 69 when the Conant report was created or produced is social media exactly and that's what i was saying and you have two to three generations of folks that very much believe in this and believe in the ability or the you know the the possibility excuse me of uaps ufos aliens all of these things i mean generation z gen x the millennials uh, our three generations there are very a lot more into it because they you know the boomers are kind of the last of that generation to be told it was taboo well and in in like like we've said before there is no dispute that ufos exist Mm -hmm. that that is fact that ufos exist is now on the same shelf as water is wet yeah it has to i mean here's a government report saying yes these things exist and there's even a category that we have no clue what it is and this report is just one of many from governments across the globe that have come out in, in the last, you know, let's say 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's no longer a question of are UAPs real? Are UFOs real? Yes, they are. It's a known fact. Uh, it should be listed in some encyclopedia somewhere. Uh, you know, the, the term UAP or UFO should be in the Webster's Dictionary. I bet it's you it's fact. in the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary. It probably is. Um the question is now what are they how do we move them from unidentified to identified or at least some of them right can we at least get some of them i mean again out of 144 only one was identifiable to a high degree yeah as a batman balloon so yeah i mean i i think it's i think it's a good it's a it's the report that I expected to see, but I think it's a good thing because it leaves the door open 
for further reporting and for further investigation. I still think that the further investigation part is going to be outsourced, if you will, to corporations like to the stars and other places. Mm-hmm. And, and that they'll, they'll leverage their, you know, the films that are coming and the documentaries and things like that, again, as a means to, uh, to still do more of a slow, steady, uh, disclosure over a period of time, as opposed to, uh, you know, go to your local baseball stadium. There will be a UFO landing on the yard, you know, at nine o'clock tonight. So, um, I, I just I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I think it's going to be a, a still a slow, steady rollout. the The events of 2017 with the sightings and those things coming and finally being made, you know, official by the by the Pentagon in 2019. Um, you know, that was the, the slow trickle buildup. This report is the next step in that phase. And then the next step post this report is, again, a slow uh, declaration of information over the next, you know, year, two, three years as we still continue to, to figure things out. Yep. And it's good news, too, because it's a hot topic now. So I think we're going to be seeing a bajillion documentaries dropping on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we already know, you know, Greer, um, yeah, of course, got came the cosmic out. Cosmic hoax coming out here in you a know, week or so. Of course, Greer is all about, you know, there is no threat, um, and I and I think the way that Greer looks at a threat is military action, right? He looks at it as the threat is they're saying the threat is that these things mean us harm, right? Whereas I think this report really means threat is it's an unknown that is in our airspace. And we need to understand what it is. It's not such that we think that they're going to, you know, launch ray beams at us and, and kill us all. That, I don't think that's what this report means by right. threat. I mean, it, it's like seeing fire for the first time. You have to be cautious. You're not right. sure what it is. You don't want to just jump right into this because you don't know if it's going to hurt you or if it's right. going to be a fun little air blanket. And, and basically, you know, the, the stance of the government is assume threat until otherwise proven. Um, I did want to quickly read before we start to wrap up, Josh, because I did have to bust out the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary, and I went to Unidentified Flying Objects, and it's really interesting. She says, things or objects seen in the sky that cannot be recognized as belonging on Earth fall into two broad categories. One, uh, vehicles or constructs having various shapes, sizes, colors, and sounds seen in the sky in many places all over the world by laypersons, people in airplanes, and ufologists travel at supersonic speed, carry intelligent life forms or are intelligent life forms visible to the physical eye or visible in a camera photograph. This one Crystal will like. It's number two, pulsating life forms that seem to float or swim in the atmosphere, having various sizes and shapes and can be pleasant or grotesque, differ in color and brilliance and are invisible to the physical eye but visible in a photograph. Mm. And that's from back in the early 80s when she put this together yeah so i mean that right there says it doesn't have to be one thing right exactly cool very cool so yeah i mean i think it'll be an interesting uh next couple of years it it will be i think on us as the ufo you know um social world if you will to keep the pressure on right because mainstream media will soon lose interest there'll be the next thing that comes along and 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 they'll forget about it so ufo twitter uh, or or whoever has to keep the pressure on to keep things to keep the ball rolling so 
Yeah, and it's crazy that you know we're, we've reached this point in time, and people like Stanton Friedman have passed on, John Max passed on, Kathleen Martin's kind of starting to retire, and things like that. It, you know, it's it's like it'll be interesting to see who the new folks are stepping yeah. up. And I believe we've already talked to some of them, people like Jason McClellan and Jeremy McG- McGowan, and, and folks like that. I think we're going to start really seeing step forward and step up, yep. and even Ryan Sprague and people like that. So, uh, and us. I'm throw us in there, Josh. Yeah, why not? <laughs> anyways, well, let's get moving on. Um, you know, we are going to constantly be taking a look at this and constantly researching this. I mean, this is something we've been waiting for for a long time. So uh, it's interesting that um, our podcast kind of synced up alongside it. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yep. Um, but anyways, we're going to get out of here. Um, before we get into our listener story, just a reminder that we do have new tiers available on our Fearscape podcast uh, Patreon uh, for all of our blanket huggers out there, including the wristwatch tier, which is a separate tier, or it can be encompassed into a larger tier. There's some really cool stuff going on. And obviously, you know, we've got a lot of research to do and a lot of traveling to do. We're trying to build this pilot uh, for a TV show and things like that, and really digging into these places that the uh, man claiming to be Terry Wrist is trying to send us we're struggling getting there because it costs money. I mean, nothing's close. Um, And so we want to get to some of these places and uh, investigate and things like that. And your uh, monthly allowance through Patreon really, really helps us with that. And we are already so thankful for the patrons that are already there. There's even a dollar tier. If you just want to be a casual supporter, um, all of that adds up. So thank you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand on the soapbox for a long time because we're already so thankful for everyone for just listening. We appreciate it. Um, But I want to get into our, our uh, encounter from the Fearscape. So uh, we got a cool story coming in from a listener here. So let's get into that. Josh encounters from the Fearscape. All right, Josh, uh, this week I've got one coming from a listener named Rhiannon, uh, and uh, this comes from, uh, they are from the state of Iowa, and uh, short but spooky, let me tell you, this is a good one, so uh, take a listen. Does anyone else out there experience this? I, I can't tell if it was part of a dream or if it was real. I was laying in bed with my fiance. And uh, he's, he's just passed out of sleep. And then I woke up out of nowhere. I started to get real anxious, like super anxious. And, and I'm real scared for no reason. And then I swear, I saw something tall standing slightly behind my door, peeping over the edge of it like in a movie. Next thing I know, I, I felt so tired. I, I could barely move, I, I could barely see, and, and I tried to call for my fiance because I was so scared, but I'm telling you, I felt like I was almost drunk. And then like a flash, the next thing I knew, I woke up and it was the morning. I never had it happen again, but I still don't know what I saw. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that hell to me, I'm like, oh, Slender Man coming to get yeah. you. Or I mean, Night Hag or... Night Hag or Grey. I mean, yeah. who knows? You know, maybe this Grey painted themselves Phantom Black. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ooh, now Fanta needs to come out with a soda called Fanta Black. Yeah. And it's like blackberry soda. Or, or like, that. like a black cherry. Yeah, or yeah. Ooh, yeah, black cherry would be good, too. 
I think I'd like that better than a blackberry. Yeah. Um, but thank you, Rhiannon. And um, man, those are really spooky <laughs> things yeah, like know, that. I've had like over the last uh, week, I've I've had a number of just really disturbing dreams, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I don't know, like if it's like when I'm drinking before I go to bed or what. But it's uh, like last night it, it woke me up at at two o six. And then I tossed and turned the rest of the night. Couldn't I actually? Yeah, I have no idea. I've, I've surprisingly like you know as much as I dream, and I dream a lot. Last three four nights, nothing. I have no memory of my dreams. Uh, Are you stealing my dream energy, Josh. Is that perhaps what's happening? Uh, well, but maybe no. I, maybe I should lay off the lucid dream. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. You're sucking all the dream energy out of my brain. Um, but no, please send in your stories if you've got them, your encounters from the Fearscape. Uh, send those to us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or just drop them onto our social media or whatever you like. Um, but we love sharing those stories and we have so many more stories every week of just things that we found or people that we've talked to on some incredible true encounters from the Fearscape. And uh, they are just a reminder you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Yep. So, Josh, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Um, a quick reminder, go ahead and buy a T-shirt or a mug or a sticker at our Redbubble store, which is fearscapepodcast.com slash store. You can get a pick yourself up a T-shirt from any of our uh, Fearscape Media Network shows as well. Um, you can find stuff on there, but just another way to support us, um, yep. you know, and all that. Every goes. little bit helps. Every little bit helps. Um, and uh, make sure you're checking out our podcasts on the Fearscape Media Network. Um, I'm, of course, got to push my other podcast, Mistress of the Dark. Um, we've had some fun lately uh, and stuff like that. So get out there, listen to those other podcasts, and keep us informed with all of your fun spookiness, your fun stuff, uh, especially on the Fearscape Media Network fan group page. Uh, so much great information that not just us post on there, but some of you post some really yep. cool shit. So uh, we love you guys. We're going to get out of here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the Fearscape Media Network podcast of all podcasts, the Fearscape Paranormal podcast. Uh, this has been Stefan. Keep your eyes on the skies, folks. This has been Josh. The truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.